0: Imagine you're an executive producer of an off-Broadway show. It's 2005, and you're 32-year-old Ken Davenport. You have a genius idea for a production called The Altar Boys, about a fictitious Christian boy band from Ohio. There's just one major problem. Very few people know you exist. And you need a marketing strategy. You need publicity. If you're Ken Davenport, you probably have something up your sleeve you decide to challenge the most infamous boy band of all time to a battle in Times Square. This story involves a rubber chicken, a hundred college girls, and a shiny white limo. We were going to have an album signing.
1: And I had read in an article that Jessica Simpson had called the Backstreet Boys the best boy band on the planet. And I remember being somewhat offended by that because I was like, the Backstreet Boys probably don't even perform live. They're weak dancers. Like, My guys could kick the crap out of them. So I said, well, that would be fun. What if we challenge the Backstreet Boys to a boy band battle at our album (laughs) signing at the Virgin Megastore in Times Square? So I said, I'm going to do that. So I placed a full page ad in the Time Out New York with a letter addressed to the Backstreet Boys saying, we challenge you. FedEx the Backstreet Boys, like the magazine. I FedEx them a, a request to come. I FedEx them a rubber chicken when they didn't respond, <laughs> calling them chicken. Like I was just trying to get some kind of response out of them. I decided to try to make this a big event. So, because everyone knows. So, what I did was I had the boys, like, I hired a limo to take the boys around the block and drop them off in front of the Virgin Megastore. I had a friend at NYU. I told her to gather like a hundred of her college girlfriends and make signs. We love the altar boys, I love Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Juan, blah, 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 and chase the limo down the street. <laughs> I hired fake paparazzi, because when you have an event like that in New York, like this was happening all the time, of course, people will follow people in. Who's mm-hmm. there? Is it Madonna? Is it wherever? So I created this fake publicity. So that in itself, you know, you chuckle like, oh, that's fun, right? So yeah great fun except for the fact when the limo didn't show up so i am literally on 8th and 44th street just a few steps from phantom of the opera waiting for the limo to show up and it is not there and i have 100 college girls on 49th and 7th waiting for us to drive by so they can chase the and there's no limo no limo no limo Uh
0: When Ken first shared that story with me, I realized what makes Broadway so special. It's a place where creative expression and differences are accepted. A place where it's acceptable to showcase a musical parody of two Mormon missionaries. A place where a Puerto Rican-born actor could conceive a musical about the life of Alexander Hamilton. A place where a Disney cartoon can be brought to life with 337 costumes and 150 moving lights. For me, musical theater was always just a reality. On road trips, my parents would play the entire soundtrack of Les Mis for me and my brother. For many, it's a money-making machine. Rent has grossed more than $274 million. Hamilton, $340 million. Les Mis, $406 million. Phantom of the Opera, $1.1 billion. And nothing compares to Disney's The Lion King at $1.4 billion. This is a world that the general public knows very little about, so I thought why not ask some of Broadway's leading figures to explain the behind-the-scenes of Broadway. Tony-winning producer Ken Davenport speaks about how a production becomes a reality. Tony-winning scenic designer Scott Pasch opens up about the process of designing a show and how his dream almost never came to be. Playbill staff photographer Mark J. Franklin describes the behind-the-scenes of Hamilton and how he brings... Broadway, to a magazine or newspaper near you. One of the most fascinating aspects of Broadway is how little the public knows about the way the theater world works. The average audience member dresses in their finest suit and tie, pays up to a few hundred dollars per seat, and gives the cast a standing ovation at the show's end. But so much happens before the audience member ever takes his or her seat. The
1: cast is often the last ingredient added to a show. So, you know, I'll be working on shows for years before there is a cast assembled. The cast gathers, you know, six weeks before a Broadway show opens to start rehearsal. Um, You know, Broadway shows are like businesses and it's a new product you're creating. And it can often take three years, four years, five years. Hamilton famously took eight years to gestate. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had a production on Broadway this summer of a musical called Getting the Band Back Together. That musical took about nine years to go from the idea phase to its curtain being raised. So I think what a lot of people don't realize is how long it takes to make these happen.
0: Meet Broadway producer Ken Davenport. The New York University alum has produced Kinky Boots, Deaf West Theater*, Spring Awakening, Godspell, Macbeth, Once on this Island, and so many others. He's the founder of Davenport Theatrical Enterprises, and was recently named the executive producer of North America for Andrew Lloyd Webber's Really Useful Group. Mr. Davenport is in the business thanks to a Mr. Jean Valjean.
1: Well, I started in the theater when I was very, very young. So my parents dragged me to an audition when I was five years old, and I ended up doing theater until I was about 12 and got too cool for it and thought I was (laughs) going to play for the Boston Red Sox and the Boston Celtics simultaneously, like I was going to be that kid. And, uh, I really gave it up. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And then when I was about 16 years old, I saw Les Mis in Boston. And that show had a tremendous effect on me. I consider myself part of the Les Mis generation. There's a whole group of us now in our 30s and 40s who are in the business because of that show. And I remember seeing the show and it having such an effect on me and me thinking, I want to have an effect on people in the same way that that show had an effect on me. At the time, the only thing I really knew how to do was act. That's how most people get into the business. So I did. I quit my basketball team. I signed up for the high school musical, and I started to get very deeply involved in the theater again. Uh, I had been accepted to Johns Hopkins University intent on being a lawyer, but transferred to the Tisch School of the Arts at NYU. And the more I got here and the more I became invested in performing and the more I learned about all the other different things uh, and tracks and professions that it took to put on a broadway show i quickly realized that that huge effect that i wanted to have on people i would probably not have the biggest effect that i wanted if i made if i remained an actor Uh, because while i was pretty good i was doing just fine i didn't think i would ever accomplish the type of things that i wanted to so i started to switch gears to use my natural talents and instincts and abilities, and also the business aspect, which I was very attracted to, and started down a producing track.
0: Theater is a really demanding business. One day you may be on top of the food chain, while the next you may come crashing down. The average Broadway actor probably auditions more than a thousand times before they get that lead role. Some might never get that lead role. And that's what sets people like Mr. Davenport apart from all the rest. He likes to take chances. He's not afraid of being told no. And it's that drive and motivation for which he attributes his success.
1: I have a a phrase that I think of when I hear the word no in terms of business. And I believe no doesn't mean no, it means not now. And that means, frankly, sometimes asking the same people who said no, the same question several times, just with a little time between. I, I get numb to it. You know, this is where this is where being an actor actually helps. you got to face a lot of rejection as an actor and you just keep going. Whether you're raising money, whether you're producing shows, hoping for the big one that is the next Les Mis or Phantom of the Opera, You've just got to keep doing it uh, regardless of what happens around you or how many people say no. As I said on the Tony stage, you have to keep asking until you find the person or the thing that will say yes. Uh, And your yes is out there, without a doubt. Uh, It's most often people don't succeed at what they want to do, not because they can't do it. It's because they stop trying to do it. And I believe you just got to keep keep going.
0: For Tony award-winning scenic designer Scott Pask, the theater has provided him a community. The Yuma, Arizona native has worked on more than 50 Broadway productions, including Book of Mormon, Mean Girls, Something Rotten, Pippin, and Waitress. Following his graduation from the Yale School of Drama, he took his first shot to create the set for Urinetown and ran with it. It was his first Broadway production, but then September 11th, 2001 almost ended his dream
2: you get that first show, that first Broadway experience or that whatever. Like you're in town for me was my first Broadway show and it was a transfer of, a, of an off Broadway show and it was slated to open on September twelfth, two thousand and one. Well we know what happened on September eleventh. And we were all in shock. And when that happened, I sat there going, Oh my God, it's like not only is our my career over, our Broadway is over. And it was because of like the intrepidness of New York, the mayor, the New York, everybody in that town and that city like being told like get out there and support the arts, support your local restaurant, support the shop, like get out there and be the force that actually doesn't let this terror win and it was because of that that it, it it's what forced us all to kind of just keep going and we banded together like, the community we needed to
0: be. Pask receives a lot of calls for projects all over the world, and he became one of the first American set designers to work for Cirque du Soleil. He worked with Trey Parker and Matt Stone on Book of Mormon. He followed the genius of Tina Fey with the most recent production of Mean Girls. But his favorite memory was winning the 2005 Tony Award for Best Scenic Design of a Play.
2: They read my name in Radio City Music Hall. My twin brother was next to me. My mom and my stepfather were a few roads back. And and I sat there and my brother punched me in the shoulder. He's like, you gotta go, you gotta go. And I just I didn't remember like hitting the stairs to the stage. Adina Mendel gave me the Tony that year. She handed it to me. And and yeah, from there on, it's just like a blur. Also that night at the party, at the after party, Billy Crudup was in the show and Mark McDonough was a playwright. And I remember at the after party, handing it to Billy or something, and I dropped it. <laughs> and the whole room was like, Wah. and it actually dented it. It made it sort of elliptical, the thing that holds the disc. And when I gave, um, I have to give it back to them the next day to engrave, and I really, I asked them, I said, please, can you let me keep it with the dent in it? And they won't. I remember my stepfather jumped up, and I heard later from a friend that this happened. I didn't know about it right away. And I my, my stepfather jumped out and was screaming out. Oh, that's my son, that's my son. And my mom was like, Sit down, Frank." And then later I heard from friends and saying, oh my God, you're Scott. That's, oh my God, Sarah Jessica Parker, Parker talks about that night. And what one of the most moving things was like hearing Scott's dad talk about like shouting at the top of his lungs in the auditorium radio station. <laughs>
0: When Nicolette Robinson became the first woman of color to play Jenna in the musical Waitress, Mark J. Franklin stood in the background. The New York-based photographer followed around Hamilton stage manager Amber White for an evening's performance. He snapped photos of Casey Levy and Patty Murren's pre-show routine in Frozen. The Playbill staff photographer has one of the Broadway's coolest jobs and knows the behind the scenes better than pretty much anybody. I think the
3: first thing that comes to mind that I learned from being behind the scenes is just how much of a community Broadway is, especially from an outside perspective. You just kind of see everything happening on Broadway, you know, in Times Square, and it feels crazy and busy. You know, there's always a million actors out auditioning and there's a million people trying to design, but really seeing how the people who make that happen. I mean, everybody kind of knows everybody in a way that doesn't feel alienating. Everybody's really nice and welcoming of new people, but kind of seeing, like, you know, somebody in Mean Girls, like the cast of Mean Girls used to um, have, like, they used to shout out and, like, cheer on the cast of Angels in America who were in the theater across the street from them and, like, seeing that type of community or going to an opening night and seeing, you know, somebody in Frozen cheering on their friend who might be in Choir Boy. There's so many cool things about, like, props maintenance or or like how you take care of a costume or that I really get to see firsthand and then get to share.
0: One of Mark's favorite memories was joining Broadway Notables on the Playbill cruise to the Caribbean. He recalled snorkeling with Tony-winning actor Next to Normal's Alice Ripley. He learned firsthand about the craft of acting and had a conversation about how to be emotionally honest in your acting.
3: She shared to me um, a bunch of things. I think this idea of, like, as an actor, being emotional is is your craft. Have, being empathetic is your craft, and how to do that, and just really being able to take in the world around you and to not stifle those emotions, to really... Because you, you can't do that when you're on stage. You have to be open and honest, and that is a, a full-time gig. You can't you can't be empathetic, you know, for the two hours that you're on stage and and then leave and then navigate the world. You really need to use the world as your research and your canvas and experience it, but then also being able to step back and analyze it and be like, this experience made me feel that. This is what happened. Really having a reflective tone uh, to it. But at the same time, you have to know your boundaries and your limits uh, because the world can especially in New York City, can be a tough place. And you also have to be able to survive it as well. Really learning how an actor an Alice Ripley, you know, this Tony Award winner, approaches the craft of acting was incredible. And it's such a, like a lesson that I would have never gotten elsewhere.
0: Broadway isn't always accessible to everybody. The show takes place in New York. National touring productions come and go. And that's what makes Franklin's job so very important. He provides a glimpse into the life that so many people dream
3: about. In those instances, a lot of like the big Broadway curtain calls or red carpets or things like that, those are created by the press team. They're photo ops that that are um, shared to not just me, but a bunch of the other Broadway outlets. So what happens we'll get an email and they'll say something like, this event is happening um, and then we'll get to go capture it. For me, however Nicolette Robinson's Broadway debut was so meaningful just because she is the first woman of color to to take on that role of Jenna in this beautiful musical that is so splashy and so big. And myself as a Black artist getting to capture that, you know, they say, show up to the theater at this time. We all, you know, wait in the lobby and you can hear everything happening on stage. So I got to hear Nicolette belt out her first. She used to be mine and everything changes and the rest of the show. And then right as the show, that last scene, they sneak in all the photographers. We stand in the back. And then once that the, the lights go down, the show is over right before bows. We all rush to, you know, the sides of the stage um, in the aisles. And we're just snapping photos because you really want to capture that event, this beautiful, beautiful historic moment. So that's kind of how that happened. And it's like a rush. And the thing that's so fun about it and nerve wracking is, you know, it's her first Broadway bout. You can't do it. You you don't get a redo of that. So something else that I learned while photographing that, um, especially with Amber, because we're capturing the human being behind the, you know the machine, this this big spinning wheel that is Hamilton, this ecosystem. And I think something that I learned is balance. Amber is yes, calling You know the cues of the show. I didn't believe there there's about thirteen hundred light cues in the show. So she's. Doing that, she's creating paperwork. She is managing rehearsals, sending out rehearsal reports and managing schedules. It's so much to keep that running. And the idea that she can also be a person who has a family who can shut off, that for me was a huge thing, especially as a theater lover myself. It feels like the people who are in that machine, that's all they do. And I think something that's so beautiful is is seeing and learning the the humanity behind that. Um, So, like, learning that Amber has a daughter and, um, you know, was also, like, practicing her cues while, you know, caring for her kid, but then also being like, this is family time. Seeing that balance and really seeing how the people um, behind Broadway maintain that eight shows a week and maintain their lives at the same time is really, really cool.
0: While many shows succeed, the vast majority of Broadway shows simply crash and burn. According to The Economist, just one in five shows makes a profit. And that's when the producer role comes into play. The producer can make or break a show right from the start. For Davenport, it's all about creating that next awesome startup
1: right? So I have an idea. I want to do a revival of Once on This Island. Uh, in this case, it came to me also through the director, Michael Arden, who's, who's a friend and a peer. And we had done Spring Awakening together and he said he wanted to do this and I loved it. So I called the authors and I said, are the rights available? I got everybody in a room. We started talking and then I have to raise the money and then I put a marketing team together and put a management, and find a theater. And it's all those things to your listeners or to people not affiliated with the theater industry may seem like, oh, what an interesting, unique process. But it is the same process that any business owner goes through if they are launching a new product or opening a new business. My, the show, the musical, the play is my product. That, can, that product can be the same as if it's an app, a restaurant, a whatever it is, a new baby toy, doesn't matter. Then you have to find a place where you you develop that product, right? Is it build it, make sure it works, (laughs) try it out in front of people. Does a baby like the toy? Do an audience, does an audience or investors like uh, the musical? And we do workshops and readings. And I try to raise money for it to build the restaurants or hire the staff, right? Or to produce the musical. Uh, Same thing. I have to find a location where to sell my product. And in my case, that's a theater. So although it may seem like a very unique profession, I am a small to medium-sized business owner. That's what I do. I just happen to be a serial startup guy, because every time I do a show, it's a brand new startup.
0: There's really no generic way to make it onto the Broadway stage, and it can be really challenging to get your foot in the door. Davenport knows that, and in response, he created the Producers Perspective, The 11-year-old blog teaches its readers about the business side of Broadway. It's because there was nobody to teach him, and he believes the world is a better place with more theater in it.
1: I remember what it was like to be actually sitting where I am right now in front of my desk and my laptop, and I'm doing some work right now. And I remember what this was like when I was 22, 23, 24 years old and dreamed about Producing on Broadway, creating shows, and having an effect on an audience like uh, Les Mis had on me. And I remember looking around for help and guidance and information, and there just wasn't any. And I had to really figure it out myself. I had to go through a lot of trial and error. I had to do tons of research. And I said, you know what? Someday, if I achieve a certain level of success, I'm going to try to help other people who are trying to do the same thing that I was doing and still am trying to do. Uh, So that's why I started the blog 10 years ago. Um, I think I'm the only Broadway producer blogging. Uh, I started a podcast. We started the membership site, all with the goals of encouraging people to create more theater in this DIY world that we live in now. It's really possible. And it's what got me started. Um, So it's just important. I firmly believe that the, the world is a better place if there's more theater in it. So anything I can do to help create more theater I think is a good thing.
0: In front of 6.3 million viewers at Radio City Music Hall, Ken Davenport accepted the 2018 Tony Award for Best Revival of a Musical for the Revival of Once on This Island. He dedicates his speech to all the people who say yes in the theater world. To all the people who say yes to bringing 1,000 pounds of sand, 100 gallons of water, a goat, and two chickens into a theater.
4: This is not how I expected this night to go at the beginning of this evening. This is a business where you hear no an awful lot. So this award is dedicated to all the people who said yes to this production. Stephen Flaherty and Lynn Ahrens, who said yes when this producer who 20 years ago got their house seats for them. Uh, To Paul Libin, who said yes when we brought 1,000 pounds of sand, 100 gallons of water and a goat and two chickens into his theater to our designers, to Camille Brown, our choreographer, to every single one of the co-producers and investors who put money into this show, people who support the, reason, the theater of the reason we all have a job, thank you so much. To that cast who performs tirelessly on that sand eight times a week. And lastly, to all the people out there who dream about doing what I do, and what everyone else in this room does. Do not stop asking your question. It's amazing what could happen. You can get to your yes.
1: So um, we had some high hopes early on and then things started to change and then some great revivals came out, Carousel and My mm-hmm. Fair Lady, then things dipped and then, then I was confident again, then I wasn't confident at all, but I didn't think about it too much. I just kept doing the work I, every day. What can we do to try to get us in the front of more Tony voters? What can we do to get more people to see the show, to get press, to do all the things that contribute to that? Uh, And then actually during the evening, I very much did not think we were going to win because what people forget is we were nominated for a whole bunch of awards and we lost every single one of them. (laughs) So I thought that the, the voters were really kind of rejecting us outright and saying, no, this production is not what we wanted to see in a revival this year. So I had pretty much resigned myself to the fact that we weren't gonna make it. And then our number happened, and you could hear some support in the audience that I hadn't heard before. And then the more people, when we were up for nominated, we'd hear more cheers and yells, and the, the voters are in the audience. So I said, wait a minute, maybe there's a chance. And then if you watch the video, you'll pretty clearly see that I was pretty surprised. <laughs>
0: that- he was really surprised. Like, really, really surprised. The moment took him back to his five-year-old self auditioning for his first theater role. Once on this island closed on January 6, 2019, after 458 regular performances. That's the way the theater world works. It becomes every actor's young dream to perform on 42nd Street, to belt out show tunes like Wicked's Defying Gravity or Katz's Memory, And I was honestly curious about Mr. Davenport's Muse, the song he would choose to sing live on a Broadway stage.
1: I will choose one of the first songs that I did as an actor here in New York, which is Why God Why from Miss Saigon. Well, that was a, it just was a seminal song for me to learn. I never really got it quite right. So I feel like I I got some more to learn there and I like to improve. Uh, And actually a, a funny little story for those theater fans out there is, The first time I sang that at class at uh, NYU, I remember hearing something in the accompaniment that I had never heard before. Um, And I literally I was I was singing the song and I turned to my left to take a look at the piano player because something was different. It was cool and it was exciting, but it was different. And I saw this moppy haired kid like banging away at the keyboard. Uh, and after the um, song was done and my teacher gave me some critique, I went over to this kid and I said, I don't know what you did there, but it's amazing. Can I like, hang out with you? What can I do? Can I study? Uh, and that kid turned out to be Jason Robert Brown, now Tony Award winning composer and lyricist of many, many shows. Uh, and it was the first time that I believe I recognized genius.
0: Perhaps the most infamous Broadway socialite is Andrew Lloyd Webber. The English composer and playwright has four Grammys and six Tony Awards. His musicals include *Phantom of the Opera*, *Jesus Christ Superstar*, *Evita*, *Joseph*, and *The Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat*. *School of Rock* and *Cats*. Davenport was recently handed Andrew Lloyd Webber's keys to the castle.
1: Since my work with Andrew Lloyd Webber and the Really Useful Group has begun, I've of course had to see *Phantom of the Opera* a number of times, and I've literally sat in a seat at the Majestic Theater two rows away from where I sat as a 17-year-old kid. And I tweeted, like, if if that 17-year-old knew that someday he'd be in the same room as Andrew Lloyd Webber, never mind uh, working with him and talking about strategy and all these things and uh, learning from him as I do every time I'm in the same room, uh, he never would have believed it. So it's, um, it's another one of those things about, you know, success, we all say, Oh, I, I want to be accepting a Tony war. Yeah, we, we all do. And I was lucky enough to do that this past spring, and hopefully knock something. I'll do that again. <laughs> but the success doesn't come from sitting there and dreaming, Oh, one day, I'll work with Andrew Lloyd Webber, or this, it it just comes from doing. You know, it's actually best. While it's good to have goals and dreams and aspirations and all those things, I try not to spend too much time on that stuff anymore and focus on just getting more work done. Because get the more work you get done, the dreams end up happening. And then you're like, how the heck did I end up with an Andrew Lloyd Webber business card in my in my wallet? I don't even. This is beyond me, and it's beyond me, and it is because I I really didn't think about that stuff happening. I just I just continued to do what I love and do it every day.
0: Ken Davenport is the king of innovation in the Broadway theater world. He takes marketing concepts and ideas and brings them to life. He makes them a reality. His off-Broadway show, My First Time, invited virgins to the show for free. During Godspell's run, 15 fans of the show were invited to tweet their experiences and received free admission. He used crowdfunding and investing to fund his Broadway revival of Godspell he live-streamed his 2015 Off-Broadway musical Daddy Longlegs. So at the very beginning of this podcast, you heard a story. It was a story about the Alter Boys, a story of how Ken Davenport created fake publicity in order to create marketing for his brand new musical. And if you were wondering if Davenport pulled it off, you haven't been listening. I told you, he's the king of innovation. Of course he pulled it off.
1: What are we going to do? I'm calling the limo guys not answering. Then finally he answers. He's like, he's 30 minutes away. What are we going to do? And then I literally saw a white limousine like passing by. And I jumped out in the street, flagged him down, begged him for a favor. And somehow I got him to put my guys in the back and do this whole thing. For <laughs> us. And in fact, I even offered him money and he wouldn't take it. So that's one of those things that was like one of the, I was like sweating bullets. How am I ever going to pull this off? And again, just like success or big thing, you don't think about it. You just kind of act. I saw White Limo. I acted. I got the boys in the back. We figured it out. And it was one of the best events I've ever heard.
0: When Lin-Manuel Miranda took the stage at the White House Poetry Jam in 2009, he said some really famous words. I'm actually working on a hip hop album about the life of somebody that embodies hip hop, he said. Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton. And he said it in front of President Barack Obama. And the audience laughs at him. Like, I'm not joking, they literally laughed at him. And let me tell you, nobody is laughing now. Ken Davenport took his own dreams and made them a reality. Scott Pass went from a town of 95,000 to 8.6 million and created 50 Broadway productions along the way. Mark J. Franklin has some of his idols on speed dial. Broadway is a really wild world where literally anything is possible. And that's the magic of it. So the next time you go see a Broadway show, go ahead and put your best suit on. Take your seat and wonder and think about just how many people went into making that show a possibility. This has been another episode of the Off the Mat Wall podcast. So much thanks to Ken Davenport, Scott Pask, Mark J. Franklin, and all of their teams. Thanks to Jacob Spike Krause for his awesome music. And as Ken said, thank you to all those people out there that say yes. You make things like this podcast possible. For the Off The Matt Wall podcast, I'm Matt Wall. La, 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 la.